Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Supply Chain Radio. I'm Boris Felgendreyer, and today we have a very special episode of Supply Chain Radio because we're broadcasting and recording this from Barcelona in Spain, from the Supply Chain and Logistics Summit. And I could not be proud and happier to have with me here as my guest, no other than Dr. John Gatorna. John, welcome to the program. Thanks, Boris. Nice to be here. John, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably do not need an introduction from you, but for the people, the few people out there who don't know you yet, what's your hmm. what's your elevator pitch? Who are you? I'm an engineer by first degree, but I many years ago changed over to what was in the early days called distribution management, which then became logistics, which then became supply chain. And I've really been in this field of management science almost since the start because it affected some 40 years maybe What's well, yeah that, 30, it's been, it got underway in 65 and i really got into it in 75 and mm-hmm. you know that's 45 years ago and i've had the benefit of actually following it all the way through and being frustrated and to the point where i had to go looking for some new concepts and we found them and and now we've come back with some very interesting uh, ideas yeah, and you've, you're probably best known for your views on dynamic supply chain alignment, yep. especially the one that focuses on customer buying behavior, yep. right? So That's it's right. a lot about segmentation. That's kind of the framework, right? Can you double-click that? The, look, when we when we started to look at this, we realized that, you know, there's nothing too conceptual about logistics operations. And as you know, uh, from other fields of management like physics and chemistry, real progress is made when you've got laboratories. You can test things in and try things out and experiment. But we had nothing. And so uh, we took the view that we needed to go and work with companies as our laboratories and we took the view then that we needed to have a starting theory, if you like, or a starting concept. And it turned out this wasn't a supply chain concept. It was, a, in, without being too grandiose, a, a new theory of the firm where we said, look, let's develop this idea of alignment, the mm-hmm. alignment of a firm with its customers mm-hmm. at the front end and with its suppliers at the back end. And mm-hmm. a few people had done PhDs, which sort of indicated that the better the alignment, the better the ongoing performance of the enterprise. And so we started with this idea that if you want to have sustained performance over time, you need to line four things up. You need to understand your customers. You need to have matching value propositions. You need to have the appropriate subcultures in place to drive those value propositions into the marketplace. And you need to have a leadership style that understands the the marketplace and can shape the value propositions and the internal subcultures. Really, that was the starting point as a concept, and we spent the last 30 years populating that by working inside companies and just getting down to a very granular st- uh, level. Yeah, you have a book out called Dynamic Supply Chains. It's in the third edition. Yep. The best way, really, to kind of wrap your head around that concept, right? It's in its third edition now. Your third what, edition, you know, yeah. When did you start in 2009, first edition? Yeah, first edition was 2006, 2006 and uh, yeah. it, it was actually called Living Supply Chains because we realized very early that supply chains actually are populated and driven by people. I and like that concept. Yeah. You know, the idea of an ecosystem yeah. of something living, it's, it's breathing. Like, yeah, it's living, yeah. breathing. And quite frankly, people switch on conveyor belts and they make decisions about, you know, manufacturing things and that. But, you know, you can use all the technology you like and you can use all the infrastructure you like, but it's inanimate. The thing that brings the whole supply chain alive are humans at the front end, who are called customers making decisions to buy, humans at the back end on the supply base making decisions to put together propositions to sell their product or raw material, and the people in the middle working on all those things to package up finished goods and sell them to customers. And 60, 70%, I don't know what the figure is, of of what goes on in a supply chain is is actually to do with humans and human decision making. There's a great section in your book 
on page 41, chapter 2, that I'm going to quote because it really exemplifies how important it is to focus on the customer behavior. Yep. You say here, it's time for you to make customers and customers alone the ultimate framework of reference for supply chain design. And once we understand the external marketplace via customer behavior, yep. we can track that behavioral thread back inside the organization and establish supply chain configuration accordingly, yep. which is your outside That's in view, the outside right? in, yeah, because up to then, for the first 40 years of development of the thinking we were doing inside-out thinking, right. which really was just guesswork when you'd be brutal about it. Yeah, and then you go on to say, the great news is that we only need sufficient supply chain configurations to match the major and not yep. all customer segments to reach up to 80% of the market. That's right. Which is your yeah. 80-20 right. analysis applied right. to the because when we did the work, we found that across the human spectrum, we can categorize 16 different supply buying behaviors, mm -hmm. but we can't manage 16. We kept looking and what we, you know, it's like anything else in a sort of a normal distribution. We found that between four and five gives us the 80% coverage we need. But that four and five dominant buying behaviors can be any four or five of the 16. It's, right, not, right. it's not always the same Not ones. always the same five, sure. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's five of the So that's 16. why you have to do either the market research to make sure you're getting the right four or five. And you can back this up with some analytics that also help you decide what you're dealing with there. But So making, you know, really identifying and interpreting your customers in your marketplace for your particular product category is really important because if you get that right, once you reverse engineer back, you've got that forever as your frame of reference. So any changes you make inside the business, changing a process or changing a technology or setting a different KPI or training people or recruiting people can all be made in reference to that external market. And that's what we've been lacking up to date. Yeah. We've been doing things inside companies frenetically with absolutely no connection to the marketplace sure. on the outside. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that immediately, the burning question that popped into my head when I read this section was, you know, there are a number of examples of very successful incumbent dominating companies inside an industry yes. that do everything right by the book. They really understand their customer behavior well. They focus the energy and their resources on catering you know, to the needs of that 80% that after yep, an 80-20 yep. analysis. Yep. And what they sometimes miss is someone coming from the bottom. You know, this is classic mm -hmm. Clayton Christensen's yep. disruption theory that kind yep. of posits that, you know, sometimes the companies that get disrupted by innovation are yep. the companies that are not incompetent, but the ones that are competent because yep. they do everything right. Yes. They cater perfectly to the 80% of the market that they should be looking yes. after and they miss out when it comes from the bottom where this new thing pops up yes. and they say, well, this is nothing. It looks like a toy. Yep. They don't take it seriously because their customers are not caring about mm. it. Mm. And then that allows, that opens up that opportunity for a small startup to start playing there, innovating. Mm. Before you know it, this thing grows into something that all of a sudden meets the expectations of a major customer segment. And then it's oftentimes too late. Yep. So how do you reconcile these two worlds where you, yeah. you focus on the 80% with your strategy, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you don't have any big blind spots? Yeah. Well, when the, the 80% is not a static 80%. That's the important thing. The other thing I haven't told you is that you have to keep going back each year and just re revisiting your marketplace because this is why I've called the, the title of my book Dynamic Supply Change because the annoying thing about customers is they change their buying behavior yeah. under different situations. So if, let's take an example. Let's say someone who's buying insurance could be a you know an ordinary in, uh, individual and let's say they've got a good job and they tend to tick all the boxes and buy additional premiums and they can afford it. Right. So you might call them uh, and they may buy from a particular insurance company all the time. So they're one of the collaborative, loyal customers for a particular brand. 
then that person loses their job. Suddenly they've got no income. Now they're faced with the decision, oh my God, I, I can't afford insurance this year. So they move into a totally different buying behavior. Their values haven't changed, but their buying behavior changes temporarily. Yeah. So what I'm actually arguing is that in the old days, and the one size fits all, what you did is you had one sort of set of processes and as the duck flew up and down, as it were, and changed, people were trying to move and create exceptions to, to, sure, sure. to hit the dock. That's expensive and yeah. what because you only got a 10% alignment with a one-size-fits-all and you're having to create exceptions all the time. Yeah. What I'm arguing is you hardwire your business with four or five different pathways and if the duck flies up and down, you just pull different levers sure, sure. so you get flexibility without having to move too much. So that's one thing. And the second thing about seeing what's coming, again, if, if you've noticed in your annual review of your marketplace that there's an emerging expectation amongst a small group of customers for say some sort of innovation they don't know what the innovation is they just know they they're looking for a solution to solve a problem of theirs and they're looking to us as the supplier to come up with that right and if once you see emerging that type of fully flexible innovative solutions segment then you know you've got to go find some some new ways of responding and so you are thereby alerted you won't get caught out by someone coming along and satisfying that need without you seeing it yeah the the, the tricky thing also is that if you always go by what the customer currently wants sometimes you miss out because if you would have asked for example like a few years back Mm. someone who who's traveling a traveler who stays in hotel Yes. if they would not rather you know, use an app to stay at someone's house. Yeah. Everybody said, no way, I was never going to do that, right? Yep. So now everybody's using Airbnb and it's, That's you right. know, you would have... It solves the need, but it's in a different way and it's much more cost-effective and it meets a lot more people's expectations and meets the need. And that's what happens. People's expectations never change, but the way those expectations are satisfied are changing continually through technology and and the innovation on the supply side. It's always the supply side that's got to understand that customers have a particular type of expectation, but they don't know what the answer is. They didn't know that the iPhone was coming or they didn't know, you know, that we were going to have videos back in the days of the Romans. But, but you're saying they wouldn't know what kind of needs they have or expectations? They have expectations, but they don't know what the solution to those expectations mm-hmm. were. A good example would be when, you know, Philips did their research 20, 30 years ago amongst their customers and found that customers were making noises like, look, I'm tired of, you know, the scratches on my records and poor fidelity of the sound and my dog stood on it and broke it and it was brittle. That was what they were saying, but Philips then had to go away and think, now, how are we going to respond? And they came up with a funny little thing like this, which they called a CD, which when they gave it to the customer and the customer played it, they said, yeah, deja vu, that's what I wanted. I couldn't explain it, but Mm -hmm. you've now shown me this advanced way of meeting my expectation. It's high fidelity of sound, it's much more robust, it's easy to use. So the onus on meeting the expectations in increasingly innovative ways, as exemplified by Steve Jobs, he did it brilliantly, is really on the supplier and the inventor. Yeah. Any exciting technologies you see coming down the pike? We hear so much about digital transformation, digital disruption. You've got all these technologies like drones, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence that are all kind of hitting a growth curve. They're all like exponential technologies. So they're all hitting this this exponential massive growth all at the same time. How is this going to impact your supply chain? I know you spent a little bit of time in the book. Yeah, I did. I mean, they're all converging to some extent. I mean, what's driving this is that the consumer is becoming increasingly empowered. I mean, they want things instantaneously and they want them for nothing or the most cost-effective way they can get them. So... 
what that's doing is driving suppliers back to the drawing boards to think, now, how can we satisfy that in a new innovative way such that when the consumer sees what we're giving them, they'll go, yeah, absolutely. I knew, I couldn't explain it, but now you've just shown me deja vu. There it is. And we're getting a lot of that. You know, drones is a good example, delivering parcels. You know, who would have thought of that? Robotics being used in all sorts of interesting ways in medicine and started off in automotive and manufacturing. So, I think we're just going to see more and more and more of this type of thing coming on. It's difficult to envisage quite where it's all going to, it's never going to end. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, um, I was just involved in a survey we did in conjunction with Capgemini. We asked yep. 337 executives in 20 different countries from major retailers and manufacturing companies. We asked them on the status of digital transformation in the supply chain. We asked them about today. How does, this, how does the status look today and five years from now, right? It turns yeah. out that the vast majority have dramatic expectations in what's going to happen in the next five years. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they're super frustrated with the progress that's been made so far. Yes, look, right? uh, it, it's absolutely right. I mean, we went through a period, of, uh, I would say, from the mid 80 or early 80s to the mid 90s when we discovered the internet, when nothing was happening in the whole evolution of supply chain. Uh, IT was terrible. It wasn't really talking yeah. to each other. Yep. Organization design was going nowhere. What the dark else? ages, so to speak. Yeah, it, it really was the dark <laughs> ages, and we did make a lot of progress. And then suddenly the bubble burst, the internet came, it gave us incredible flexibility to go around organizational barriers that were holding us up to then. And of course, since then, we've now got this whole, you know, big data, big decision making thing. And of course, a lot that's to do with the capacity of the hard technology, the hardware that we've now got to actually run models and store data, which we didn't have back in those days. So there's been a huge evolution or a huge revolution in hardware that's allowed us to absolutely bring a lot of this other stuff along which we otherwise couldn't have brought along but we'll always hit those barriers I mean, for instance digitization right now we talk a lot about it but there are companies who literally haven't necessarily got all their systems talking to each other oh, and that's no what, doubt about it and that's one what digitization the, is sure sure and one of the key things that came out of our survey was that to this day companies really struggle to get access to the data that's in the extended yep. supply chain yeah Right, so by estimates, there's 80% of data floating around there that people don't have access to. Mm. How do you make smart supply chain decisions without having access to the data? I tell you what, it's not even a matter of access to data so much is the data is rubbish. I mean, even companies that have just put in two or three years ago a transactional system, big ERP system, and I've been there. We've been trying to extract data to build models, you know, and the data's rubbish. It's duplications, there's gaps, there's wrong data on dimensions, on weights, and all the sort of things we need in supply chain to make sort of good decisions. And most companies haven't solved this yet, where a lot of their master data on product and and sales and everything else and codes are messy. And to do anything sensible and build a network model to make decisions, you've got to go through a a six-month cleansing program, and it's a huge amount of work. So we've got to find ways to get to that point easier, and that's going to be... Yeah, exactly. And you're only talking internal, right? And you're thinking, okay, suppliers with different IT capabilities, and you have purchase orders and shipping orders and advanced shipping notices floating around at different standards and different... Yeah, we've got got a way to go on that. That's going to slow us down a little bit, and maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, these days there's different ways of doing it, like systems that are designed for a network. They're outside the four walls as opposed to inside the four yep. walls. There's a lot of innovation happening in that space that yep. will hopefully bring us some relief here. Yes. I, I think we will get to that where you'll have, you know, automatic cleansing of data and stuff like that. But at the moment, a lot of that has to be done manually, and that's what slowed us down. Yeah. One single version of the truth. Mm. We've got to get to that. The all-elusive, right? Exactly. That's the elusive thing. And particularly, we talk about sales and operations planning. I mean, that's the whole thrust is... 
trying to boil down to one version of the truth so that we can all work on that rather than have every department having their own version and really getting very confused. Yeah. Well, the concept of sending around files mm. and manipulating files and then having like 50 different versions floating around yeah. and not one version. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's easier or the concept of posting something and giving people access to it and then manipulating one thing in the that's cloud, right. for example. That's, that's right. another concept that's out there. Exactly. People are looking at this for yeah. sure and we're, lots of smart people are working on it and it will get solved, but right now it's putting the brakes on a bit. Yeah. So five years from now, what's going to be the biggest thing that's Look, changed I, I, I think, think five years in five years time we really would have solved the automation problem I think we're going to see you know how we had a bit of a burst of automation 10 or 15 years ago and in some cases we over engineered automation I've seen whole distribution centers had to pull out automation and go back to manual labor that happened to uh, Sainsbury in the UK massive losses but I think we're going to come again on automation and I think the trick there is to get the right mix of automation and human intervention. I won't say never, but I think we're always going to need human intervention where we particularly have major disruptions to make decisions about what to do, mm. which a human being can make when machines can't really at this point. So I think we're always going to have that combination and that's what I, I'm looking forward to seeing where we land on that sort of combination in the future. But I'm convinced it's going to be a lot more automation and it's going to be a lot more cost effective. And we're going to see it in places like China and that where they've got the labour, they're still going to have automation and that's going to lead to all sorts of people not having work and so on. Yeah, yeah. So what's your next book going to be about? Uh, look, um, I'm just going to keep evolving this particular theme. I'd like to swap away a little bit from the word supply chain. We've, we've stretched it to its limit. We've tried to define and redefine it as the end-to-end thing. I'd like to eventually swap over to networks. I think the reality is is that we've in the last 30 years we've gone from situations where companies have stood in the market and competed with other companies. That was the early days. And then as we've gone on, companies have recognised they couldn't operate on their own. They needed partners on the supply side and they needed loyal customers on the front end. So we've, we've ended up in a period and we're still in this period of what we call supply chains versus supply chains. So if you're in a good supply chain, you'll do well. If you're in a poor supply chain, you won't do so well. And we're heading now, and it's already happening in the airline industry, where we're heading towards a world of networks of networks, where Mm -hmm. even competitors will network and share infrastructure and resources and manpower. And we're really, in the next five, ten years, learning our way through how you develop new business models, consortiums, and work through this idea of networks of networks competing against other networks. That's Great. the way we're heading. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting five years to come. It think. is. It's never without excitement, this thing. That's why it lasted so long in this industry. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> exactly. Well, John, thank you very much for taking your time today. For everyone listening, Dynamic Supply Chains, third edition by John Gatorna. Great book. I highly recommend it. John, enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks very Boris. Much for it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank, thank you very much. much.